Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to another summer edition of the Limited Upside Podcast. As always, I'm Ben here with, with Mike, and we have a special guest joining us to talk about the Denver Nuggets today. We've made it to the Nuggets officially, Mike, and uh, we're very, very humbled to have uh, the managing editor of uh, the Denver Stiffs, Nespy Nation website, Adam Mares. Um, Adam, thank you very much for coming on the, uh, on the podcast, man. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and I'd, I'd be remiss. You, you write for a few other sites as well. You write. You can find Adam at uh, Nylon Calculus, uh, Vice Sports as well. Yeah, that's that sounds right. All right, fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's one of those I don't know exactly where I write situations. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, he's going to be our resident uh, Denver Nuggets expert as we dive into I don't know, a lot of things. Nuggets, we'll take a look back. I guess we should start with year one of the Malone era, uh, now that we've got one under the belt, and just kind of get what your thoughts are about how it went and, and really where you see it moving, and then we can get directly into kind of what they've done with the draft, uh, and you can transition us there. It is interesting because this was year one of a new phase for the Nuggets, and the Malone era sounds right. I wonder if it's going to be the Malone era in like four years, if we'll look back at the stretches, the Moutier era, the Jokic era, the Malone era, or something else. Um, But yeah, year one was good. Malone uh, was a a very welcome change of pace for the Nuggets. The Brian Shaw era lasted two years, and it was a disaster from start to finish that just kind of descended lower and lower um, into chaos. Malone came in, and, and the number one thing he did was straighten up the locker room, build a, a winning culture and a hard-working culture, a positive attitude culture. And I don't think he deserves sole credit for that, but I think he was a big mm. part of it. Um, the Nuggets also, in, in over the course of the last year, year and a half or so, they cleared out all the players that didn't want to be here and all the players that were disruptive. JaVale McGee, Nate Robinson, J.J. Hickson, Ty Lawson, obviously, who had some some off court issues. So sure. those guys were good players that I think, by and large, were traded for lesser talents or or for nothing. But it was still a move forward because it was clearing out kind of the dead weight of guys that uh, had kind of outstayed their welcome and no, just no longer wanted to be here. Mike, you're a Wizards fan. Do you see some parallels between when the Wizards had to transition to their new era to what the Nuggets are doing currently? Maybe a little bit. I mean, you mentioned the guys who don't want to be here. There is one guy left over that I think maybe it still fits that category that we can talk about a little later. Uh, there's some of it. I I, I kind of like watching Denver last year, but it, I thought it was also interesting that for all the uh, great talk of what Mike Malone did, and it sounds like that, that culture really has changed, they did only win three more games than last year. So, I mean, it seems like they still have a ways to go. I mean, but... As you're saying, Adam, it is a very positive three-win gain. And was it all just because of some of the guys that aren't there anymore? I mean, where where can you point to tangibly in terms of basketball impact where you can say, well, now that something like that happened because even though we only won three more games, it's different around here. Well, I'm, I'm not a guy that really buys into the intangibles too much. I think they're certainly important, but uh, I got my credential right at the end of the Brian Shaw era uh, two seasons ago. So I've been covering the team for about two years now. And that locker room was so awkward. It was really my first introduction to NBA locker rooms. And it was just such a dysfunctional, unhappy, uh, weird group, weird vibe that – you know, see, so I, I don't want to undersell it and say that, oh yeah, it was just a better attitude. That was that was a it, it's a noticeable difference with the team. Guys want to be there. They want to work hard. They get along. There's a lot of youth on the team last year, and they all seem to uh, have a nice camaraderie going. So those things are important. And then if you look at some of the actual basketball stuff, uh, it, it's really not so much. Uh, I think Malone is still developing his identity identity on both sides of the court as as what he's trying to do with the Denver Nuggets. But the team is definitely more focused and, and bought in, uh, especially on the defensive end. Even though they were one of the the last ranked teams, they were still a team that brought it every night, was focused every night, wasn't 
you know, two seasons ago, the Nuggets gave up 84 points in the first half to Portland in Denver. Things like that don't happen anymore. The Nuggets, by and large, battled with teams. They beat the Warriors. They beat the Spurs. They were a team that, that other teams had to bring their best uh, every night. So that's that's the biggest difference, I think, with the Nuggets culture in year one of that Malone era. Yeah, they game to game, it definitely felt like they didn't have as many ebbs and flows this past right. year. I think that was a big part of it. Uh, I also think what I liked about what they did last year is that they started to bring back kind of the home court, let's run, run, run advantage that I thought they lost under Brian Shaw a little bit, trying to kind of slow it down. And you saw a lot more of let's use our home court advantage. You know, you saw guys like Will Barton just have a great breakout season, just kind of running down people's throats. And, you know, that's not the Mike Malone we saw in Sacramento. So I think, it, you know, his he kind of built around a slow-paced game with DeMarcus Cousins' post ability. It showed a little adaptiveness on his part, and it's going to be interesting to see how the groundwork is laid now in year two. Uh, you know, they've established those, you know, they kind of have to play a certain level every night, and they've established a sort of a starting to establish an identity. Now what, I think, is a big question. And part of that identity, you talked about the pace. They had a rookie point guard. Moutier came in, and they and they handed him the keys. No matter what he did, he was going to get minutes. Uh, but it's hard to run when you have a rookie. Rookies just don't have a right feel for the speed of the game. Moutier was no different. Obviously, he was turnover prone. So telling him to get the ball and and, and, and sprint up court and make quick reads and quick decisions, you know, put him in uh, tricky situations more often than not. So I do think that running is going to be part of the identity going forward. But last year, I think Malone was just figuring out what he had. Even Nikola Jokic, I think, played four minutes the first game of the season. It wasn't until January that he was starting, and it wasn't until after the All-Star break that he was playing 25, 30 minutes a game. So I think I think last year Malone was just kind of casting a wide net, trying a bunch of different things out. And towards the end of the year, I think he started to realize who his guys were. Um, but he still experimented. The last seven games of the year, he played Nurkic and Jokic together um, uh, that had very mixed re- results, probably more negative results than positive results but i think i think i would characterize last year at least the the on-court results as more of an experimentation than than anything else so a question about the roster as it's as it's composed because uh you, you, there's also what Joffrey Laverne. You guys have one of the most difficult team names. Every everybody has. <laughs> yeah, Yusuf Nurkic. Okay, there's uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez. Yeah. Uh, Will Barton. Rookie. That's an impossible name to pronounce. <laughs> yeah, for you, I know. <laughs> yeah, these are the most difficult ones. You already did uh, Nurkic, but the idea being these are all big young players. There's still Gallinari there. Uh, Kenneth Farid's going to play power forward. I feel like there's like seven guys who play power forward center and you know obviously Jokic as well what do you think about that cluster of in that position um it's going to be an issue before too long I don't think it was an issue last year and I don't know that it's going to be an issue next year but I do expect I mean obviously I think we could probably hit on it now Kenneth Freed is the name that's still the Mm -hmm. holdover of maybe guys that I'm not sure he wants to leave the city of Denver but I also don't get the feeling that he necessarily loves it here um, I'm not sure he wants to be part of a slow rebuild, which is what the Nuggets are, are sitting in the middle of right now. He's the guy that I think if the Nuggets look to make a move at the trade deadline, he would be the name, and I think that would free up the front court rotation quite a bit. Jokic is clearly the starting center. He earned that. He's one of the, you know, obviously he's a, he's a top prospect in that under 20 or 21 and under age group. Nurkic is a guy that needs minutes. Um, he still could have a tremendous upside, so he's probably the backup center. And then you're talking about Juancho Hernan Gomez needed, needing minutes. Uh, Darrell Arthur is going to play a lot. He's kind of the most consistent yep. front court player. Um, and Joffrey Laverne, the Nuggets really like him. I personally don't don't care for his game too much, but he is an energy guy off the bench. Uh, he's a pretty consistent player in that he you know what you get out of him every single night, whether that's good or bad. But um, so those are all guys that I think would would it would be easier to find minutes for everybody if uh, Kenneth Freed was moved for a non front court player. Well, the trouble with Freed also is he wants to play, right? He wants to start. He Absolutely. sees himself as a, a starter. And you, the the other part of the logjam that you didn't mention is the flexibility to swing Gallinari or Wilson Chandler if he's healthy to the four and play small because they have a lot of wings too. So they're just kind of loaded with players everywhere. The 
The issue with Fareed is, you know, he has some things that he is just elite level player at, and he's an amazing offensive rebounder. He runs the floor so well. If we're talking about like kind of running and pushing the pace, I mean, who does that better? Kind of just running opposing fours ragged than Kenneth Fareed. Problem is. Not a not a very inattentive defender, a very <laughs> a hyperactive defender, but not a particularly attentive one. Doesn't really have a floor game. Not really a great passer. So, I mean, really, he is kind of a specialty player, but he sees himself as a starter, and I think that's a disconnect that they have to figure out. Right? He's such a funny player because I, you know, I think he was maybe overrated in, in the 2013 year when the Nuggets won a franchise record 57 games. Under Brian Shaw, they posted him up, which he's not very good at. They posted him up a lot, and I think he became an overrated player. And he's a guy that, if his role is very narrow, like you mentioned, he's a pick and roll, roll to the rim guy. He's an offensive rebounder guy. He's a hustle guy, um, and an offensive rebounder. I think then he's very good. But that's that's all about narrowing his responsibility and and being able to pick up the slack in other areas. The Nuggets haven't really had a team that can do that because they needed him to be the best player on the court or the second best player on the court most nights. And I don't think he's that type of player personally. So it is a weird thing with him. I, I still think his trade value is probably lower than what it, what it ought to be. I still think he could be a very useful player under the perfect circumstances, under the right circumstances. Um, but yeah, here in Denver, with where the team is right now, I'm not sure. He, the, the Nuggets would definitely stumble if they were to trade him you know, for and not have a replacement role guy on the roster, they definitely would take a big step back. But at the same time, he doesn't, he's not a player that's going to carry a team into the playoffs with what he brings to the table. Do you think he's going to be on the team, uh, I guess, start of the year and then throughout the whole year? Or, I mean, do you think he's gone? I think it's very likely he'll be on the team at the start of the year. And I think it's, slightly more likely than not that he's gone at the trade deadline with an all almost certainty that he is gone by this time next year all right that's a prediction we're going to hold you to when uh, (laughs) i'm just kidding you can say whatever you want on this podcast i would like last two podcasts ago i was like usa played their one close game so i got that out of the way i don't care and who was the one that said a little reason to be concerned Uh, yeah 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 i mean mike Mike you don't want to throw some of my bad predictions back in my (laughs) mike always has one foot in one foot out so he he keeps it safe um that's smart it is. It is. He he's uh, he's a logical fella. But uh, what if we? Uh, Fareed was almost traded though during the summer, wasn't? It? I mean, they were. I, I thought I was a lot of rumors. There. A lot of rumors. There were a lot Paul, of rumors. Paul Millsap, I think, was the the most likely rumor to be to be true. He was a guy that I think I think that was the talk. So I don't know how close that was. Uh, to be honest mm. with you, but I'm told. Uh, you know, sources sources tell me that the that that trade was actually a lot closer than people realized. Straight straight up, uh, I'm not sure exactly all the pieces, but those were the the principal parts. Wow, Millsap's a heck of a player. He might be one of the most underrated players in the league. He's also what 32, and he's about to. He's got one year left on his deal. Yeah, yeah, but their whole their whole team is so young. I mean, it couldn't hurt to have. I mean, not the whole team. I guess Darrell Arthur's kind of. He's 28. God, how old are we, Mike? I'm pretty old, I suppose. <laughs> uh, I'm looking for someone. Oh, they do have Mike Miller and Jameer Nelson, too, right? I believe That's they're right. on the roster. Okay, the, cool. That so, brings the age up dramatically. Right. Everyone else is like 21 years old on the team. There's a lot of guys. I Holy mean, we could cow. probably count how many are 23 or under, and then there's a handful of 25. So, yeah, it's yeah. a very young roster. Very, very young. The one guy that's turning heads now that Nuggets fans know because he turned heads all last year, if you're paying attention, is Jokic. And Jokic is 20 years old. And on a permanent level, he compares, really stacks up with the very best rookies in the league last year. The problem is he only played 21 minutes a game. So I I think some of the talk that he's like better than Porzingis by some Nuggets fans may be a little out of hand. But... He is just a brilliant offensive player. He can really pass. He can really shoot. Can post up bigger and smaller guys. Got a ways to go defensively, but you know, I'll I'll steal this uh, this question from uh, one of someone we sent out a question to. Reminder: You can always send us questions via Twitter, via our own account uh, at Limited Upside, or my account uh, at Mike Pratt SBN. You can email us as well. And this is a question from uh, Ryan Blackburn. When, when, or if, I'm going to amend to if, but he says when, when will Jokic be an all-star? 
Ooh, um, that's a really tough one. I, I really like Jokic's game, and you could add me to the list of players that, or list of guys and analysts that think that Jokic had a significantly better year than Porzingis because I do. Even mm. though there was the, the, the twenty minute, uh, you know, even though he's only playing twenty minutes for the first three months of the season, and by the way. When they played head to head, Jokic created a highlight reel, just schooling the guy from outside, inside, everything. It was like the Team USA game, only on Porzingis every time. That was great. <laughs> Wait, so uh-huh. so do you do you think that he had a better season last season, or how he projects? You no, think I, that- no, I think last season he had a okay, better season. Okay, yeah, You're talking yeah. about projections. Seven three is going to be yeah, going to have yeah. more upside than six ten. But I will say I think it's close. I mean, I think both of those guys have a really really unique skill set. That's the thing about Jokic is his. He doesn't really compare to anyone. I mean, he's got a little bit of Mark Gasol and Pau Gasol in him. Um, you know, he reminds me of Sabonis. Remember how Sabonis' yes. game was? And, and he, that's a th- he throws the same passes because Sabonis, yes. Sabonis had a little bit of flair to the pass. It wasn't just that he saw the cuts and the angles, but he For would put sure. a little extra on it. And that's what Jokic does too. And it's not in a flashy or out-of-control way because I think he had actually a pretty low turnover rate. Um, but he just kind of has a knack for – it's like soccer players, right? He has a knack for kind of looking away to draw the defender one way and then dropping off the perfect pass. He has the behind-the-back pass. He has the over-the-head pass. He has a lot of different passes in his arsenal. He's also a three-point shooter, which uh, 33%, and I think that's going to get better as he gets more confident. Yeah, he I, knocked I, down a few in the uh, game against the United States. He, he was really, really good, we should say, in the Olympic game against the United States, against DeAndre Jordan and Cousins. He was the best center in the game by by a good margin you saw that he has a knack for exploiting mismatches on on the post one of the things i like i i like the post game a lot i'm one of the guys that doesn't think the post game is dead i think it just has evolved it's changed and the thing i like about Jokic is he can post up six times and not take a shot on any of them but still make the right read you know he knows whether it's it's time to force it and try to make a move or if it's time to make a move that draws the defense and kick out um, and then uh, and then you can give him six more post ups and he'll score on all six. So he's a guy that just makes the right read more often than not, whether it's in the post or at the elbow. And that's why I hope his usage rate goes up significantly next year. I hope the Nuggets run a lot more through him because he is so good about protecting the ball and not turning it over that I think he can handle the responsibility. And guys like Wilson Chandler, Gary Harris, and even Emmanuel Mudiay are such good cutters. I think yeah. cut, cutting might be the best part of all offensive part of all three of those guys' games. So um, I, I hope they give him the ball a lot in, the, in that pivot uh, position where he's the one making the read because I think he'll do really well. Yeah, he, he's a delightful offensive player. I mean, he can do everything. He, You mentioned the post-up part of it. I think the other thing that in time may become fairly significant is that he just demolishes switches in the post. So you can't. You can't switch that one five pick and roll, and that that actually may be useful because of the Moutier's jumper. You can kind of screen and rescreen with him. He's got great screening angles. Like you said, he can shoot. He can pass. He's just defensively. I'm not so sure. He's got a ways to go there. I think, and I, that's probably why, right? He didn't play as many minutes as I think a lot of Nuggets fans would have hoped. I don't think so, actually. And and I think his defensive RPM number, I think he was like seventh over of, of all centers or, or so? something like that. It just looks a little really lost on pick and roll coverage. He's young. He should be. I'm just saying I don't I think that's the problem. Here's the here's the thing about his defense for me. I think he has really, really good instincts as a center, dropping and just protecting the paint. His instincts on the pick and roll are always to force the guard to take the longest angle. And then rather than to like try to get steals or this or that, he just takes the cutoff angle. So it's kind of a safe safety defense that he's really good at. When you force him to go outside of that, he's really, really bad. He doesn't have lateral quickness. If you want him to like hedge screens really hard or, or, or trap or anything like that or show too, too high up on a screen, then he gets a little bit lost. But when he's just trying to like cut off the, the lane to the basket, he's very good. And even though he doesn't jump more than three inches off the ground, he challenges <laughs> shots in a way that, that makes everything a little bit more difficult. So I actually am a little bit higher on his defensive upside than I think most. But his athleticism will prevent him from ever being like, uh, you know, a DeAndre Jordan type shot blocker or anything like that. Um, and then one other thing I would I would be 
I would hate to, to let this go because it's the coolest fact or, or, or thing that happened with Jokic last year is Mike Malone on two separate occasions has told me that Nikola Jokic is the best, has the best handle on the team in, in practice <laughs> on basketball drills, which I think is hilarious. And he always shows it off in practice. Obviously, he can't do this stuff in the game, but he's always <laughs> well, doing like, you he know, might do it anyway. <laughs> spiders, yeah, spider <laughs> dribbles and, and, and through the leg back, back and forth. It's kind of funny to watch him because he's, he's just so smooth out there uh, with got, his handle. He's got good fine motor skills. You can just see it in the touch. And that goes to that yeah. touch of the passing and you know, the English on the ball and so forth. He, yeah, he's, he's definitely fun to watch. He's one of the, the breakout stars, if you will, of, of these Olympics uh, thus far. At least people uh, who are trying to tune in to see Team USA play. And then there's a guy on the other team who tunes him up. Theodosic or whatever his name Theodosic, was. That's yeah. Theodosic. Yeah. He was another guy who really caught my eye just for his craftiness. Uh, he was like a Rubio with a jump shot. It was a very interesting Theodosic thing to watch. one of the best guards in Europe. Now, with Jokic, why, so why didn't he play more? That's what I'm kind of – has been confusing me every time I watch them play. You know, was it just because he was young and they wanted to kind of bring him along slowly? You know, because he, I, he was the best player in the team last year, I think. Well, I think if you look at it, coming into training camp, he wasn't expected to play at all. Uh, he was just the 41st pick in the previous draft that was going to get spot minutes here and there. Um, he kind of earned minutes as the season went on, and by January he was starting – but I think even the front office thought, let's bring this guy. You look at you look at what happened to Porzingis and how he kind of burned out at the last two months. He just Good looked point. tired. I think the front office was thinking very long-term with this team. I think they knew by January that this wasn't a playoff team. And I think they just thought, you know, rather than play this guy 30 minutes a game, let's play him 20, and we'll play him 30 minutes a game the last month of the season to see how he does. But there's no, there's no point in and trying to make him do everything at once. Even Emmanuel Moutier took, I think, two weeks off in the middle of the season. Maybe it was three weeks off. And that was a blessing for him because that I think that's why he was so fresh at the end of the season and had his best month, that final month of the season. The, the same could be true for Jokic and Moutier both, is that they were both fresh at the end of the year, and that was one of the successes. Um, but one thing about Jokic, I'll say, I really like his game. I like uh, I like his upside and and how he. I think he will develop. I don't know that he'll ever be a guy that forces. I don't know that he's ever a guy. Five seconds on the clock, you need a shot. Let's go to him, and he's just going to force up a shot. His game is always making the right play, making the right read, and it's not necessarily hitting tough shots, which is a skill. It's a, it's a valuable skill that superstars are able to do. So that might be the one thing that keeps him out. The question I think Ryan asked was was when he'll be an all-star. And that's the one thing I'll say that I don't know if he'll ever be a superstar is just because I don't know that he's a guy that will score on two guys three times in a row when the team desperately needs it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, something to be seen as he progresses through uh, through this season. But we, we need to get into the guards, then a couple veteran questions. Uh, I want to get start with the draft because that will lead us into the guard conversation here. So... The Nuggets had three draft picks this season. That's right. They had uh, 7, 15, 19, something to that effect. They, got, they, luck- they got lucky to get all three. That was kind of yes. a – I don't think they expected that, so that was good. That's right. So they took uh, Jamal Murray out of Kentucky, um, who I, I like as a player, but we don't have to get into to what we talked about when we got, were doing the draft, uh, Mike. Then they also took another shooting guard uh, a couple picks later, which was Malik Beasley, uh, and they currently already have on their on their roster a very young uh, shooting guard in Gary Harris. So three shooting guards, uh, 21 years or younger, uh, to go along with Moutier, who is 20 years old. Um, we should also say they picked uh, uh, Juan, Juancho uh, Hernan Gomez as well in between those two first-round picks. He's a uh, power forward. For now, let's talk about the guards. Still have Jakar Sampson. He is only 23 years old. Uh, and so <laughs> You had to mention Jakar Sampson. Only, only for this fact. I hated that we cut him to make room for the trade that never happened instead of freaking McConnell. It's one of those things that, like, uh, it ate away at me. It was like, yeah, you know, let's keep the... Uh, Let's let's keep the five foot ten guy who's definitely maxed out instead of the potentially <laughs> defensively uh, something you know six foot nine athlete. Whatever. This eats away at you. Yeah, man. Little things like that oh, made man. me. Well, Mike, 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 Mike. We don't have to get into the little things about being a Sixers fan over the last few seasons that were annoying, but that's certainly one of them. Okay. Um, anyhow, so Jakar's there as well. But the point being that there is a another gridlock on the team. It's interesting where these these gridlocks of young players are, and this one happens to occur at the at the, at the shooting guard position. There's there's a few guys there, three three mouths to feed. Uh, where do you see that depth chart uh, breaking out when the season begins? 
Well, you don't. Just off the top, you don't have to worry about Jakar Sampson and Axel Dupont because those guys, <laughs> those guys are both non-guaranteed guys, and the Nuggets have 15 guaranteed contracts on the roster. Okay. So okay. chances are, those guys, you know, your Sixers can pick them are up you, off waivers here, here you, pretty soon. There's a, there's a chance. Okay, there's cool. A, there's, he's coming home. You know, you can start the, <laughs> you can start the montage. But, yeah, uh, I got the music queued up. <laughs> there you go. Uh, no, you're right. It's a crowded, crowded backcourt, just like it's a crowded front court. Uh, all young guys. Jamal Murray, I think, you know, the Nuggets struggled to shoot the ball last year. Gary Harris was probably the best shooter on the team. Darrell Arthur, I think, had the best three-point percentage, randomly enough. Um, but so they, they drafted two shooters that that was their number one skill. Jamal Murray and Malik Beasley are both guys that that's what they bring to the table first and foremost. Um, Jamal Murray is a guy that probably, probably, I don't know, I, I, every time I say this, it doesn't seem true to me, but I would say he probably has more upside than Gary Harris or at least that's how he's considered. He's a seventh pick. Uh, he was a 20-point-per-game scorer at Kentucky. So I think the idea is that they hope he can turn out to be uh, a 20-point-per-game kind of night because the Nuggets don't necessarily have a bunch of those on the roster. Um, but uh, there's a lot of questions yeah. with him. And Gary Harris last year, Gary, Har- you know, nobody really watched the Nuggets, and I don't blame them. They weren't on national television. They weren't in the playoff hunt. I watched the Nuggets. I can actually tell you exactly how many Nuggets games I watched in like two seconds while he continued talking. Adam, over (laughs) over under Mike watched four and a half Nuggets games last year. Oh, wow, way over. I'll go over over that. I'm going to say he watched nine and a half. (laughs) I I bet it's like 13 or something like that. Hold up, it's much more than that. Uh, you're going to be surprised. Uh, I think you, Mike. I think you're going to be surprised. <laughs> uh, Twenty full regular season <laughs> Nuggets games. Wow. Start to finish. I That's hope cool. everyone listening, everyone who's ever listened to the Limited Upside podcast, is aware of just the amount of dedication that goes into it. Mike watched 20 Nuggets games last year. So when we're giving national coverage, it is absolutely as thorough as most people from those regions. Adam, how many how many real Nuggets fans watched twenty Nuggets games last year? Oh man, one percent or less. I want to be clear; these are full games, start to finish. Wow, I mean, flip around. You know, Mike, I, you're one of the guys I read almost everything that comes out. I don't remember reading too many twenty Nuggets articles, so those <laughs> must have, those, those must have been wasted viewing experiences there. Yeah, but right. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh... Gary, Gary Gary Harris, no, he. Uh, He's a guy that I think went flew under the radar in terms of sophomores, guys that had a really great season. Gary Harris did everything the Nuggets asked of him. He was a very he has he has maybe the quickest hands on defense that I've ever seen. It's so hard for anybody to dribble the ball against him yep. uh, or to put the ball on the floor just because he has he has these incredibly quick, strong hands and just gets a hand on the ball. Even if he doesn't steal it, he gets a hand on the ball to deter uh, offensive players. Yeah. He shoots think- the ball really well and he's a phenomenal cutter finisher. I, I totally agree, Adam. He, he's a guy who uh, we can go back to two years ago's uh, draft preview. I really liked uh, Gary Harris a lot. I, I think I thought he had longer arms because of exactly what you just yeah. said. I thought he had like a real extensive wingspan. He doesn't. Um, it's like comparable to his height or something to that effect. But it's because his hands are so dynamic, and he makes that he makes uh, defensively he makes it look like he has longer uh, yeah. limbs. He disrupts everything, and I think you could make a drinking game out of it. Just watch how many times he tips a ball, a pass, or a dribble, or something like that, and you'd be hammered by the end of the game. But uh, no, he, uh, he 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 did everything he that was asked of him. I think the the area he the two areas he could probably improve most are one, just become a more consistent shooter. I think he was at like thirty four, thirty five percent last year. If he can get up to forty five percent, yeah. So if he can get up to forty percent, um, you know, closer to that number. That'll be huge for the Nuggets. And then the other thing is he's not really a playmaker, and this might be asking him to do become something that he's not, but if he's a guy that can you know, kind of run a dribble weave with Moutier and when he catches the ball kind of probe the, the paint and try to make a play, that would make him much more valuable. Right now he's kind of more of a finisher, uh, catch-and-shoot finisher and then a cut-and-finish-at-the-rim finisher than he is a playmaker. Defensively, his, his advanced metrics are low. And I've, I've been saying this for a while. I think a lot of that is noise from him having to guard the small forward position. He's only 6'3-ish. I don't know what he's listed at, but I, I'm 6'5", and I always size myself up next to other players. He's a good two inches shorter than me. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh inch and a half, two inches shorter. But he uh, he's a guy that I think next year with Wilson Chandler back, he won't have to play the three nearly as much. He won't have to guard tall guards like Kobe Bryant, uh, 
Kobe, Kobe, I think, had two of his three best games of the year against Gary Harris, who just, he was just too tall. He just kept shooting over him. Uh, Andrew Wiggins <laughs> had a really nice game against him. And again, he just went down to the post, shot 10 foot turnaround jumpers. And as good as Gary Harris is, he just doesn't have the height or, or length to contest those. So um, I like that Kobe just kept shooting too. No matter what, you know, even if he was going to have a bad game, he's going to keep shooting there. Yeah, Harris, I think, I think you're right. I think you hit him on nail on the head. It is sort of funny that the one big question, one big question about him is, can he become a knockdown three point shooter? When that was sort of what people thought he was going to be out of college, but I think it's a very good point. You know, he's if you can knock forty percent of your threes and kind of defend like he does, he can be a good player. With Jamal Murray, Murray, I wonder what you think of this theory, Adam. I wonder if well, first of all, he was the best guy available, so that's why they picked him. But I wonder if he can sort of act as sort of Moutier insurance if a Moutier doesn't develop, or if you just need more you know scoring out of the one spot because. Murray can play the one. I'm not sure he mm. is a one, but he's he not can, a one. But I think he can play the one in certain situations. I mean, otherwise, I'm not really sure how you see him getting a ton of minutes. I think he's too. This is the problem with him. I think he might be too defensively challenged to be a full time two. Can I, can I jump in real quick before Adam on my just college reference points of him, and then go for it, Adam? But I, he he's not a one in any way, shape, or form. He was overwhelmed last year playing college point guard. And then finally found his groove specifically mentally on the court when he got moved over to the off guard where he's by far more comfortable. Okay, but I'm saying playmaking sort of out of the one. He's ball in his hands running pick and roll. Maybe he's not defending the one. I don't know. I just to me that's you're going to have to have him swing between both positions, I think, to give him some minutes. You know, I don't know if Adam agrees with me on that. Yes, yeah, so there's, you know, that's been the talk over the last two months. That's kind of been the big question. And I'll tell you, the first, right after the Nuggets drafted him and he does his press conference where he calls in, one of the first things he said was, I'm a point guard, uh, <laughs> clearly knowing Moutier was here. So it's kind yeah. of funny that I think there's a discord between what everyone else thinks he is and what he thinks he is. So that'll, that'll be an interesting thing to monitor. But I'm, I'm actually with Mike on this one in that I think he's going to play uh, – both one and two i think he'll play mostly two primarily two and mm-hmm. when he plays one he'll probably play he'll, he'll probably play a lot of lineups alongside Moutier and alongside jameer nelson but they'll let him initiate the offense a lot and handle the ball a lot that's where i think he's best he's actually a really smart pick and roll player um on the offensive end at least he's horrible on the defensive end pick and roll but <laughs> offensively speaking he's, he's he's pretty crafty um he's really good at getting his own shot off but he's also kind of good at reading I don't know how good he is at reading the other three players on the court, but he's really good at reading the whole pull-up or drop-it-off-to-the-roll-guy dynamic. Um, so I think they'll use him in that role a lot, and I think that's where he'll be most effective, actually. I don't think he'll play a lot of point guard alongside you know, Malik Beasley, Gary Harris, Mike Miller, someone like that, because right. th- that role, I think, would be too overwhelming for him. Now, Moutier, going back to him, I think early on, he's a young point guard, I think he really struggled early on, and then you said he took a bit of a break, and then he finished the year pretty strong. I, I'm worried not only that his jumper was really rough, but he finished really poorly at the rim, I thought, for someone his size. But he's still really young. Uh, he's got, he was great in summer league. He's got the tools. He looked pretty good in the one summer league game he played, and he can defend, I think, the potential to be a really good defender. What is good progress for Emmanuel Moutier in his second year, in your mind? Well, I'm with you, Mike. I think the number one thing for him is finishing at the rim. Uh, the jump shot, that will determine whether he's a good or great player. But the finishing at the rim will determine whether he stays in the league or not. Um, mm-hmm. Last year, he was one of the lowest, uh, had the, one of the lowest effective field goal percentages at the rim because he just didn't. He, he's a strong guy and he takes the ball to the hole hard. He just didn't get a lot of foul calls. He didn't draw contact properly. I, my belief is. I think that that had a lot to do with the Nuggets spacing issues last year. And I think that also is part of why Gary Harris only shot 35% was because often he was the only three-point threat on the court. You know, Danilo Gallinari was somewhat of a three-point threat um, but played a lot inside the arc. This year, I think adding uh, Wilson Chandler, having Nikola Jokic a little bit more confident and Mike Malone trusting Jokic to shoot the three a little bit more and then Beasley and Murray. I think there's going to be better spacing and better one-on-one at the rim opportunities for Moutier instead of a lot of times he would beat the first line of defense and then meet the center at the rim with nowhere else to go and and he missed a lot of shots that way. So 
But uh, the progress for him is going to be obviously lowering the turnovers, which I think I think will happen. I think that was largely a rookie thing, and then finishing at the rim. Those two things are are going to be the biggest uh, litmus test for him and his progress in year two. Nice, good assessment there. I agree. I mean, I I like Moutier. Mike and I both were were high on him. I believe before the draft. I think physically, when you have the type of of gifts he does, you'd hate to see that not be able to translate to things that he should be able to control. Um, you know, like going to the rim is one of those things where you learn. Or I feel like that touch that some guys have, like uh, call it like what Kyrie Irving has, that's a completely innate thing. I, I don't think there's any way these that anyone would expect him to be able to get to that point. But to have the aggression and, and the uh, the points, the angles like that Westbrook has is not out of the equation for him in, in any shape or form. I don't know if he's like as athletic, though. I think he, mm, he's not different. really like a, a – mm. what. He's not like a one foot like power to the rim type. I think he's got to sort of load up. Maybe that's something he can improve. He can get in better Maybe. shape. Maybe. I was hoping to see that at summer league. I was hoping to see more explosiveness from yeah. him, and I don't think I did actually. Dunn's a really good defender. That's who he went up against. Um, right. So it was kind of a fun matchup. But uh, I don't. I'm, I'm. I don't think he's going to be a, an explosive athlete either. But the one thing that's really cool about Moutier and Jamal Murray is that they're both hyper competitive guys. Moutier is a super he's he's kind of a gamer in that when when there's a close game and and somebody's going at him he'll go right back at him almost to a, a fault where he, he can get suckered into taking bad shots because he so desperately wants to get the guy back so it'll be fun to to, to kind of monitor that dynamic of Moutier and Murray guarding each other in practice and fighting for minutes and hopefully Malone can balance that uh, competitiveness in a constructive way and not in a divisive way yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll tell you, one of the other things that is going to be interesting next year, uh, and we haven't even brought his name up, is Danilo Gallinari. I believe he's still on the Denver Nuggets, and yet we haven't we haven't mentioned him in any way, shape, or form. Is he going to be trade bait as well before we uh, get to the general outlook of the organization? I highly doubt it. I don't think uh, Gallo's another guy, just like Wilson Chandler. They both signed mm-hmm. extensions you know, at the same time, and yeah, he's another like- guy that wants to be here. In fact... He wants to be here in a way that I think if the Nuggets traded him, even if, say, they sent him to Boston or to a contender or somebody like that, unless they absolutely had his blessing, I think that would be a real tough, uh, a tough pill to swallow for the Nuggets because he's a guy that's been in their corner. Not yep. a lot of guys come through Denver or in Denver's corner and, and fight for the organization and say great things and how much they want to be here. So him, uh, he's a guy that I don't think they would trade him out of the blue. They would only trade him if he asked for it or if he agreed to it. Um, that's just at least my read on the situation. And he's coming off a great year. Uh, he yeah. had, he had, I would say one of his best years. I mean, the only problem is of course it ended short with, uh, his ankle injury. So another year where he's playing games in the fifties, but he drew absurd number of fouls last year. I mean, he had one of the highest free throw rates for a wing I've ever seen. I think he is around 60% or six, 60 percent i don't know exactly how to calculate it but it was it was absurd <laughs> you know and he, again he can play three or four i think he used used mostly as a three you know they swung up a little bit but i think in the year before he played maybe more four uh and just the big concern is still just health i mean it, he's a really good player when he plays but you know if he's playing in the 50s again next year you know it, it's an important bridge player but that's the thing i worry about for the record, and this is speculation, this isn't confirmation or sources telling me this, but I'm, I feel pretty confident in saying that Gallo could have played probably the last seven or eight games of the season. The okay. Nuggets were eliminated with seven or eight games to go, and I think it was more of a, hey, let's shut you down. You have Euro uh, qualifiers for the Olympics, and, and he agreed to that. So I think he probably yeah. could have played 65 games last year instead of 58 or whatever it was. But, um, uh, but you're absolutely right. There's no guarantee with him that he's going to play more. 55, I think, is kind of his average in his career, uh, 55 games in a season. But he is, if he wasn't a Nugget, I like his game a lot. If he wasn't a Denver Nugget, he would be the most frustrating player for me to watch because the fouls he draws are just the, the most frustrating <laughs> type of foul draws where he really does just barrel into somebody that's off balance and fall down. Yeah, so and Paul he gets He's oh, like yeah. the new Paul Pierce. He's unbelievable at the same exact things. He's a lot more shameless, honestly. Oh, for <laughs> like, sure. He'll do this like you know Euro step and then jump back into the guy and double yes. clutch and make it look like, uh, yeah, it would drive me nuts too. He's, he's a hundred <laughs> times worse than James Harden or Manny Ginobili or any of Ginobili, those guys. Yeah, to be honestly, yeah. he just he absolutely goes out of his. He'll have a wide open layup and elect instead to run into a guy because he knows he'll get to the free throw line. So it's kind of crazy. <laughs> Do you think he can duplicate last year? I mean, that was by far his best year, I would say, of his career. I think I think he'll have a better year, to be honest. Um, wow. 
he was they gave him I think he'll have just better matchups he'll get to play a little bit more for the Nuggets will play a little bit faster and he's a I think he's one of the best transition jump pull up jump shooters uh, in the league. That's not just last year; that's for his career. He's a really good three point shooter in transition. Um, and I think the Nuggets last year, he was a guy that was really frustrated with Moutier, not personally, just on the court. I think after once the whistle blows and the game's over, he's he's a great locker room presence and everything. But I think early in the season, he was a guy that was kind of always throwing his arms up at Moutier because Moutier wouldn't see him on the fast break or Moutier would turn it over on a three-on-one. And he's just the guy that's kind of like, you know, he's such a competitive guy. So I think next year he'll have a similar responsibility but a better supporting cast, and I think he'll he'll have an even better season. All right. All right, cool. So let's get to the the sort of predictions part in some capacity here. I'm going to ask a few questions to you. Mike, you can answer it too. You watched 20 Nuggets games last season. <laughs> So, so, oh so, uh, so, which, by the way, just so that's on par with most teams, right? You watch most uh, teams. You- it's uh, it's a little bit on the lower. End. I mean, it's a little bit on the lower end, but okay, it's, right. there yeah, it's in the mix. I mean, exactly. So, so it's it's uh, we know that Mike is a uh, uh, not exclusive to the uh, the you know the Northwest uh, standings or anything. I can't like even that. tell you which twenty games if you want, but no, that's okay. Oh, okay. Anyhow, <laughs> okay. All right, all right, all right. So Denver was thirty three and forty nine last year, right? That was the the thirty three win total. Um, that left them. Uh, it was Oklahoma City won the division. Uh, not the divisions matter, but Oklahoma City was first, and Portland, Utah, then Denver, and Minnesota. So I figure Minnesota is going to be. Better next season, uh, yeah. probably significantly better. Uh, yeah. With that being said, okay, two things. Where do you see Denver finishing uh, in the in the Western Conference? And then, what? How many wins would you be gauging for next season? Off the the first question set here. In the Western Conference or in the Northwest? L- l- might as well just do the whole Western Conference since it's okay. not seeded by that anymore. I, th- I think they're probably going to be somewhere 9, 10, or 11 would be my guess. I mean, there's an outside chance that they're going to make an 8 seed, but there's a lot of teams that are in that same range. I think they're probably around the 38, 39 wins. That's a five-game improvement over last year. And again, by the way, like I, like I said earlier, the Nuggets kind of shut themselves down the last seven or eight games. So they had 33 wins. I think they could have probably pulled out 35 just even given all the injury concerns, had they just not played Nurkic and Jokic twenty minutes a game and gotten a negative twenty in those ten, you know, twenty minutes. But um, so I think thirty-eight, thirty-nine wins would be uh, probably the range that they'll land in, and that's, in by my estimation, that's probably good enough for a nine, ten, or eleven seed. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, to bring this this whole thing back full circle uh, to where we started, I think the big test of this year is is a Mike Malone defensive effect, you know, because yep. for all the fun players they had, and there's so many guys that are interesting on this team that we haven't even talked about. We didn't even talk about Will Barton. You know, we didn't talk about the return of Wilson Chandler. We didn't talk about Yusuf Nurkic, who's kind of his own interesting story going on right there. So they, they are really deep, but they, they are a bad defensive team last year. I don't think they've really made themselves much better on paper defensively. I mean, maybe you can disagree, but to me, it's mostly the same guys plus extra rookies. You know, so can Mike Malone get this team to defend well? He got the Kings to defend well for a stretch. You know, we never really saw kind of the ends of the fruits of those labors for various reasons. And, you know, this is year two for him. And if they can get to where they're near league average defensively, I think they're, they have an outside chance at the playoffs. But hmm. if they're still kind of languishing in the 20s, and again, you look at the personnel, I don't really see where the personnel is for this to be a top half the league defensive team it would have to come from much better from great coaching then i think it's hard for me to see that even though they have a lot a great young situation and even though this all looks to be really interesting on paper it's hard for me to see that many more wins unless they really step it up on defense and this will be the great test for mike malone i think they were one of the worst defensive teams in the league i think 28th in defensive rating off the top of my head i could be wrong on that uh, I don't think they're going to make a huge leap into the upper half, but I do think they can be uh, a lot better. And you mentioned personnel. Wilson Chandler is that guy that, you know, out after Danilo Gallinari, who started at small forward, the Nuggets didn't have a backup small forward. Mike Miller was really the guy. Jakar Sampson was the guy, and he's Yeah, he's Will dead. Barton. Are you, would you consider Will Barton a two? But that's the thing is Will Barton is about 190 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> and, you know, Randy Foy played the three. 
Barton played the three. Gary Harris played some three in some some lineup. So I see what you're saying. They so just having a, a six eight athletic guy, if assuming he's healthy, which is another you know who is another assumption you you might not be able to make, but assuming he can play 50, 60 games, he's just another guy that has height and mobility to guard. Uh, you know, Kobe Bryant wasn't a world beater last year, but he torched us two times just because mm-hmm. they didn't have anybody that height. So, I but. To go back to the Malone effect in the, in the defense, Malone's teams have uh, a few characteristics that I've that I only noticed from watching this Nuggets team and then going back and looking at the stats and the data and and kind of drawing a parallel. And that is, they have a hard time containing uh, dribble penetration from the perimeter. And again, part of that might be just youth and and height and size. And then because of that, or maybe in tandem with that, they have a really they do a really bad job of over rotating defensively. Um, I think I don't know if it's a, it has to be a Malone principle, but guys, whenever a guy on the weak side drives and gets past his defender, everybody just sprints to the middle of the court, and as a result, there's so many kickout threes. I think the Nuggets gave up the second or third most catch and shoot three point attempts. Uh, they gave up a lot of corner three point attempts, and again, those are a lot of uh, from my observation. That's digging into the stats, but from my own eye test, that's guys helping so far into the paint and so far off of their their man that it just made it so easy to drive and kick on the Nuggets. So I hope that that was the result of young guys and a lack of height not being able to contain dribble penetration. But my gut tells me that probably has something to do with Malone's defensive principles and maybe an oversight on his part. Um, yeah. It's not fair of me to speculate on that because he's only had one season in Denver. It'll be very, but that's something I'm going to keep my eye on next year to see if they're still giving up so many wide open three point mm. shots. Yeah, I I think it's probably too early to write the book on Malone just because at, as soon as we started to see Sacramento make a lot of progress, he was fired. Yeah, that no. was in year two. You so. know, guys, you know where Mike Malone went to college? I don't know that. He went to uh, Loyola College in in Maryland, in Baltimore, where I went. He is maybe our most famous alumni. Uh, did you know him? Did you? Uh... Uh, no, Mike and I did not cross paths, but I feel like I can call him. I feel like I can call him Mike. Okay. Well, apparently he does not like being called Mike. Nope. Nobody can call him Mike, so that's but, definitely not accurate. Apparently, he, he prefers Michael, which is does he? Yeah, I I heard that somewhere. I think it was on maybe it was on Zach's podcast. The, the low post he brought it up, but it's it's well oh, known around kidding. Denver not to call him Mike because he will uh, he will correct you on that. Oh, he went to he went to Worcester. No, maybe he coached at Loyola. Oh, that's one of those things. No, he went to Loyola. Okay, he went to high school at Worcester. At okay. Worcester, well, yeah. Worcester in Boston. Yeah, he went to high so, school at uh, Worcester, uh, Worcester Academy, Massachusetts. Yeah, I gotcha. I was gonna say I played in college. I played against Worcester, the college, and it's the funniest team I've ever played against because I never really heard a thick Boston accent until I played them. <laughs> and every single one of those dudes had the same. It was so funny because they all talked trash the whole game. That sounded like New York. That sounded well, like a good New York that's, accent. That's just me doing a bad Boston accent. Oh, but okay. You get the idea. It was like. Yeah, uh, a caricature of a Boston accent. Only all of those guys. It was hilarious. When you live on the you know Midwest uh, or in the mountain Rocky Mountains, you lose the ability to do East Coast accent. I mean, <laughs> that's that's, true. That doesn't explain my inability to do it, but <laughs> some people's. Uh, I pride but, myself on my impressions. That that's uh, it's important. <laughs> yeah, but he yeah he likes to be called Michael, which is the complete opposite of me. I hate when people call me Michael. Yeah. Uh, only my family can call me Michael. Uh, Everybody else, I don't really like it. So, uh, but as for him, the coach, I, I think you make a good point about the they they pack the paint a lot. I'd like to see them do a better job of forcing plays to the baseline. Uh, yes, thought that Sacramento made progress in that area when he was the coach. That to me is an inexperience issue. You know, you got a lot of young guys who just don't position themselves well. But no, I mean, this is the real test, I think, because part of the whole reason why Denver has the upside they do is that they have this young talent, but also they have a coach who seems to know what he's doing and can kind of has creates a good culture and hopefully elevates this team, you know, kind of takes the parts he has and builds into something. This year, to me, is a big test of that because if they are really on the rise, they should be competing for the playoffs deep into the season and even possibly making it, even in the West. But a lot of that, to get there, I think that they need to really tighten up that defensive scheme because you cannot finish in the bottom five in defense or even in the bottom ten and really think about kind of making this postseason run, I don't think. Malone, it's going to be interesting with Malone because year two, he's going to be graded on such a different criteria than he was in year one. He aced year one 
solely because you know nobody missed a plane back from Vegas, and you know the, <laughs> the team showed up for shoot around and, and things like that. That was it. Sounds silly, but that really was goal number one for the Malone era. And he didn't just get people there. He got people buying in and working hard. But year two, it is going to be all these things that we just talked about. Those are going to go under the microscope. Um, I'm, I'm interested. I'm intrigued to, to see how this team uh, grows with the youth at uh, the guard positions, uh, the the youth all over the power forward and center positions. I'll say this, though. The Western Conference is going to be tight all over. the. <laughs> the I mean, the, the difference between, and we'll say, I don't know, I'll, I'll say the three worst teams in the West are pretty clear. I believe, I believe that's Los Angeles, Phoenix, and, and, the, and the Kings at this point, because who knows what the Pelicans are going to be with. Yeah, you know, with 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 their putting together, uh, not very much around Anthony Davis. Assuming he stays healthy, he should be able to make them more than thirty wins. Like they I were. said on the podcast that you missed the other day, that I think they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, so Mike's. I I heard Ooh. that. I didn't want to bring it up, Mike. Wanted you to to reiterate there. So if they're in the playoffs, and uh, and the Nuggets are going to be hunting for the playoffs, and the Jazz are going to be hunting for the playoffs this year, and maybe the Rockets and Grizzlies and Mavericks have the, a slight dip, but you're talking those are are 41, 42, and 42 win teams. That puts nine teams that should be within a couple games of each other. And you didn't even mention Minnesota. Minnesota, yeah, at the bottom there, which which because they only won 29 last year. They should definitely be, as we talked about when we did the, the Timberwolves preview, in the hunt as well. So there are a lot of young teams that think they're in the hunt. There are a lot of older teams who, who don't think they've aged out of playoff contention yet. Uh, and then there are the, the teams we don't know as much about, like what will the Thunder be next year, um, so which, is, which should be quite uh, an interesting uh, drama as well. So anyhow... The West will be a lot of fun. Is the point we're getting at there? And uh, Adam, having Adam Mars on the uh, on the podcast here was was a lot of fun. Adam, anything you want to uh, you want to put out there that you're working on at the moment, or we should check out? Uh, go ahead and uh, give yourself a, a shout out there. Well, I don't have anything in specific, but obviously check out denverstiffs.com for any nugget stuff. I know they're not always in the national spotlight, but uh, you get, and people also. <laughs> You know, can hit me up on Twitter with any Nuggets questions. I'm always up for talking talking NBA at large or Nuggets in general. Man, Nuggets fans have a real chip on their shoulder about nobody pays mm-hmm. attention to them. It's not just you. It's everyone. I, they're going to be a league pass delight, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, they have a chip on their shoulder about nobody watching them in Denver because obviously their <laughs> fan attendance was terrible. There was like a thousand guys at some of the games this year. <laughs> and uh, so, so it's not – I don't think it's even national. It's just people in general. Yeah, well, they're they're going to be fun, win or lose. However many games they win or lose, they're one of always one of my favorite league pass teams, as evidenced by <laughs> the number of games. Uh, but it's going to be interesting. And listen, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, a reminder to everybody that you can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. Uh, we really like five stars, but if you got to go to four, like I guess we'll take it. The review is also nice, so it teaches us things that we can work on. Uh, so please do all of that. You can follow the account at limited underscore upside. You can follow Adam on Twitter at, and I'm going to double check your actual name because I'm not ready. It is, uh, it's just your name, right? Just Adam Morris. With That's an it. underscore in the middle. Adam underscore Mars. You can there follow, you go. You can follow Ben at EpiBen and me at Mike Prada. That's uh, like the Italian company, but not pronounced that way. Uh, SBN. Uh, you can follow the show at underscore at limited underscore upside. So thank you. Mike, what's the, next, what's the next one we're doing? Who are we doing next? So we got a couple coming up. We're going to have uh, Sacramento. Uh, it's going to be interesting. And then our friend Seth Rosenthal will return and we'll talk about the Knicks. I know we have a lot of New York listeners, so uh, that should be fun. So, yeah, we have a lot of really cool stuff on the way. Uh, And you can listen again to our previous off-season podcast. We did just finish with New Orleans. Uh, We had Minnesota before that, uh, Phoenix before that, uh, Brooklyn, and uh, the Lakers and Philly talking with our SB Nation team communities. Uh, These guys really know their teams inside and out. And we highly recommend if you kind of want to get a little deeper view into how these teams did their summer, how the fan bases are feeling, kind of coming into the new season. Check all those posts out. Check all those episodes. And uh, that's pretty much all I got, Ben. You want to send us off? I I mean, I guess uh, I guess that's really all we got. Again, Adam, thank you for joining us. Mike, always a pleasure to know how many different uh, basketball teams you are watching. You should say he watches all 82 Wizards games, so that is right there, 102 NBA games in full. So if anyone cares about dedication, limited upside podcast. 